From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we're very glad that you're with us for this edition of Open Line Thursday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Uh, Jack Williams away today. I'm Tom Price. Glad to be here with our Open Line Thursday host, Father Brian Mullady. How are you, Padre? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a, um, a wounded warrior today. You're uh, actually a little on the ill side, but still persevering and doing the show. Yes, I have my typical change of season bronchitis so uh seems to be like a lot cough. of yeah seems to be a lot of that going around uh, uh here at the here at the uh, network uh there's quite a few of us who are just sort of um getting by and uh, trying to deal with the with the crud okay well anyway so if you know, if i cough during the middle you'll know why we yeah. will know why and we'll uh, certainly keep you in our prayers uh, we're going to open up the phone lines in just a moment here, and that number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us outside of North America, we have a special number just for you. Dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. You can also uh, shoot us an email if you prefer that. Openline at EWTN.com is the address. Openline at EWTN.com. And be sure you put either uh, Father Brian or Thursday in the subject line. Today, Father, we're going to kick it off with uh, a fascinating topic, God's time. What are we talking about here? Well, I took the title from a Bach cantata. Hmm. It begins, Gotet Sight is their alabaster sight. God's time is the best time. And I think uh, now that we're sort of almost getting close, next month will be really close to the end of the liturgical year, it's important to reflect on the passage of hours that we experience here and the way God experiences time in heaven. First of all, as you know, he's in eternity. So there is no succession in him at all. And all the things come forth from him and all the things seek to return to him. That means that when we receive grace, we're elevated from looking at the world just from a temporal perspective. And we begin to look at the world from an eternal perspective. This, of course, causes in us a certain detachment regarding what we experience every day. And we just do our best. We know that this isn't the final experience. And the whole tick of time, why the time was created, was to measure change of material things that serve spiritual things. And time will come to an end in the apocalypse when the number of the elect is filled up. Now, that means that since we're human beings and we're called God's nature mm -hmm. because we have a spirit, a soul, an intellect, and a will, that until we allow our hearts to be converted and elevated 
from time to eternity and see things in time through the perspective of eternity, we can't really appreciate them as they really are. And not only that, but C.S. Lewis has an interesting reflection on the devil's temptation regarding time. He says the devil is always trying to get us interested in what happened in the past and what will happen in the future because none of these things we can change. Mm. Whereas he says the actual center of our concern for time should always be the present moment. Christ, as you know, says, um, uh, you know, don't worry about the future, worry about now. Mm -hmm. Father de Cousade in the Abandonment of the Divine Providence talks about putting your will in union like the hands on the tick of a clock with God's will. And he calls this the sacrament of the present moment. And so that's what we're called to do. We're called to see every moment as an experience of eternity. But we can't do this, obviously, by our own power. It demands a prayer life, and it demands allowing God to elevate us to his supernatural point of view. So there are all kinds of looking ways of looking at the world, but God's perspective and God's time and, and God's eternity is the most proper, the deepest, and also in a certain sense the most delightful. Because once we see eternity and we um, see time from eternity, we don't get that concerned about what happens every single day. And that isn't to say that we don't uh, have um, care uh-huh. for things because that's how we get to eternity. Mm-hmm. But it means to say that we don't allow such care to deflect us so that we get lost in, for example, the past or the future. We can't change any of those things. Whereas regarding the present moment, that's the only place where we can actually um, Mm -hmm. change something. Mm -hmm. So God's time is the best time. And if we allow ourselves through mystical life to be converted to that time through love, then that helps us to appreciate where the world is going. The uh, scholars used to call this in very German terms, the Heiligkeitsgeschichte, salvation history. Mm. But what it actually means is, it's a better translation to just talk about it as God's time in which the creation of the world is finally being realized in its final purpose, which is the glorification of God in Christ. Mm. Well, to live in uh, God's time, as you say, is actually very freeing, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, we uh, thank you so much for that. And we'll be uh, getting to the phones here in just a moment. Again, that number 833-288-EWTN. If you have something uh, on your mind uh, to ask Father Brian Mullady, 833-288-3986. want to give a shout out here to our fantastic uh, team here behind the glass, producer Michael McCall. Also, uh, Matt Kabinsky, our phone screener, and Ace McKay is handling social media today for Jeff Burson. And uh, so if you want to ask a question uh, via uh, YouTube or Facebook Live, we're streaming there right now. Just put your question in the comments box. Susan offered up this question, Father. Some Catholics say that the apostles were not really given the authority by Jesus to forgive sins because we don't see them doing that. How can I respond to this? 
you, well, you can respond to it by basically the words of our Lord, uh, where he says, you know, uh, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Mm -hmm. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. He says that to Peter. And then in the upper room, after he rises from the dead, remember, he breathes on them and gives them the power also to forgive sins there. Sure. And just because you don't see an act of confession at a confessional 2,000 years ago yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean that the act of confessing uh, didn't occur. That's true. Well, we appreciate that. Hope that's uh, helpful for you, Susan. Thanks for your email. Mac is watching us on Facebook this afternoon, Father. Mac says, Father, it is my understanding that time is a creature created by God. Was God subject to time when he entered time, or how did his human nature deal with time, for lack of a better word? Did he subject himself to his creature? I guess that is my question. Again, that's from Mac. Well, I think the wrong word is used there, subject himself to time. Uh, of course, he submitted to time mm -hmm. by freedom, and his human nature, not his divine nature, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you'll see this in statements that are made by Christ in which he speaks as a person, because remember, he's a divine person in both natures. For example, Father, glorify me, that's his human nature, with the glory that I had with you before the world began, that's his divine nature. And Christ spans eternity and time. So it's, yes, in the sense that Christ chooses to submit himself to an ordinary human life. Yes, in that sense, we talk about the fullness of time, for instance, uh, as regarding Christ's birth and things like that. But remember, the, Christ's human nature was born in Mary's womb, but his divine personhood always existed, and his divine nature did too. So in the Catechism, for example, they make the comment that what he was, he remained. What he was not, he assumed. Okay. Well, very good. And uh, Mac, thank you so much uh, for your question, and glad that you're watching us this afternoon on Facebook. Well, we're going to open up the phone lines as of right now. If you have a question for Father Brian Milady, do give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 288 3986, or you can shoot us an email, openline at EWTN.com. Back in just a moment with lots more of Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we'll lead off with a quick reminder here that EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern 
right after the Sunrise Morning Show. Hey, don't miss out. We can send you a link to your email inbox every day regarding the Mass. Visit EWTN.com, click on the word subscribe, and we will take it from there. Phones are coming in uh, right now, Father, at 833-288-EWTN. We're getting those screened uh, just as quickly as we can. Maybe we can say uh, just a little uh, just a little quick thing. We were very sad to hear about the death of uh, someone very close to us here at the network today. Yeah, it's Father Horgan from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. I was his teacher, and I was also the archpriest at his first mass. And uh, he was just a marvelous, marvelous priest. And, uh, of course, he was big into the relics. Oh, yes. And that's how he got an EWTN. Cause I forget who asked me. It might have been Mother. It might have been somebody. Do you know any priests who are interested in relics that says, oh, have I got a person for you? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So, yeah. Yes. I know that he recorded a number of series for us on the radio side, on the television side, and uh, certainly uh, uh, just a, a great loss. And we ask everybody to pray for uh, Father Horgan. Well, and also he did the uh, scripture verses. Sure did. Absolutely. Get to the phones in just a second here. It is uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. A question here, interesting question from Kathy, Father. Kathy says, if a person believes that something they are doing is not sinful, not sinful, in this case, sleeping over at her boyfriend's house, but on the sofa, okay, is it still a sin in God's eyes? Also, can a person ever know for certain that they are in a state of grace? So two questions there for you, Father. Well, uh, the first one I don't quite understand. Um, well, she is... Um, because she is, she is she sleeping on the couch? Yes. Well, I don't think that's a sin. I mean, there's no sex going on. Right, right. Uh, so that's, I don't quite understand that question. Okay. Secondly, regarding whether you can know you're in the state of grace or not, uh, that's a very easy question to answer. And um, we can never have absolute certainty we're in the state of grace because it's um, the condition looked upon from God's point of view mm-hmm. unless God reveals it to us because he's done that to some people to encourage them to martyrdom. Mm-hmm. But we have a relative certainty we're in the state of grace if we're not aware of having committed a sin and we love God above all things. And this famous dilemma was... Um, evoked in the trial of Joan of Arc. In fact, the Catechism quotes it about this subject. Really? Where she was asked if she was in the state of grace. And this was a trap by her judges. Because if she'd answered yes, they would have burned her as a heretic. Mm. Because you can't say with absolute, absolute mathematical certainty you are. And she said no, they would have burned her as a witch. Because then everything she did was obviously by diabolical inspiration. So Joan of Arc said, if I'm not, may God put me there, and if I am, may God keep me there. Mm. And that's the Catholic answer, actually. Very you know, in the Protestants, because they don't look like grace is a thing. Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? You know, <laughs> and you have absolute certainty of salvation no matter what you do. Well, that's all psychological. But when it comes to Catholicism, we don't um, look at it quite in those terms. We uh, look on it very differently. And as I say, the Catholic answer is, if I'm not, may God put me there. If I am, may God keep me there. Very good. 
All right, and if you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin here with Cindy, a first-time caller from Missouri, listening on the great Catholic radio network. Cindy, what's on your mind today? Cindy, Cindy in Missouri. Are you, uh, Go ahead, Cindy. We may have to put uh, Cindy on hold, and we will come back to her in just a moment. Uh, perhaps there is a, a phone issue, but we'll, we'll get that cleared up. Here's a question now from Walter. When does a war become a just war, and when do non-combatants become combatants? Interesting. Well, it doesn't become a just war. It either is a just war or it isn't. Mm. And the conditions are there are several. One of which, of course, is you have to be not the aggressor. Another is that you have to have some hope of success. I mean, it's silly to start a war when you're just going to get massacred. Yeah. Um, and uh, thirdly, you have to use appropriate means as another condition. St. Augustine has four of them. I can't remember the fourth. But, but they all have to do with uh, you being unjustly assaulted. Mm-hmm by another state. Now, as to when a non-combatant becomes a combatant, well, it's a problem in the modern world because we went to total war in World War I. Yeah. And uh, so that means everybody in one state is a combatant. But traditionally, a non-combatant would be a person who isn't in the army. Okay. So they didn't swear an oath yeah. either to the state or to the king or to whomever, to prosecute the war with the arms possible. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, today, partially because of conscription, you know, the draft, and partially because of uh, the way war has been prosecuted since World War I, all states look upon other states as their enemies and a potential combatant, which isn't the way it should be. Yeah. All right. And we uh, thank you, Walter, for your question. We're going to try to go to Cindy in Springfield, Missouri, one more time. Uh, Cindy, are you with us? Yes. Hi, Cindy. What's your question today? My question is, um, I met with some friends this weekend, and we got to talking about whether whether we need to go to church or not. And they, a bunch of them said that they were spiritual, they're a spiritual person. So therefore, they do not need to go to church. Hmm. I would say it's just the opposite. If you're a spiritual person, you know you need to go to church. Yeah. Because um, it, when you do a lot more than just, it's not a building, okay? And it's not just listening to a nice sermon. In Catholicism, it's being present at the foot of the cross. Um, and we look on the Mass as the unbloody experience of Christ and the cross to which we are given access in our time and our place. Remember I talked to you at the beginning about God's eternity? Yes. Well, that's the liturgy, Hodie, today. Uh, we return not just to recalling the passion, but we make the passion present. Now, if I'm a spiritual person and I'm a believing Christian and Christ told me, do this in remembrance of me, and it all has to do with my union with him, and I believe that he's my redeemer, then I have to be present once a week at his sacrifice. All right. Cindy, is that helpful for you? 
Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. Brian has a question emailed to us. He says, how can it be possible that we are descended from one man and one woman, Adam and Eve? Well, you know, there was a long discussion about this a few years ago. And the scientists proved that we could be had to be descended from one woman, and they did that because of DNA. Mm. Now, man, I don't know. I'm not that bringing an expert in it, but it's very possible, um, and partially also because, well, as you know, they they never found the missing link between us and apes. Mm. Uh, that's a crass way of putting Darwin's theory. <laughs> yeah, I admit, but uh, it's uh, the creation of the soul is an extremely important thing, and it's what's the backbone of what it means to be a human being. So uh, many years ago, I think twenty years ago or something, they did publish a study where they demonstrated that at least one woman had to be the origin of the whole human race. Wow. Well, okay. There you go, Brian. Thanks so much uh, for your email. Uh, phones are open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Dana says, uh, two, two-part question here, Father. What are the teachings of the Catholic Church based on? And the other question is, what is the magisterium? The teachings of the Catholic Church are based on Scripture and tradition, both equally. Tradition is the Word of God preached. Uh, Scripture is the Word of God written down. Scripture does enjoy a special title there Mm -hmm. of being revelation uh, directly. The magisterium's purpose is not to create either Scripture or tradition. It's to serve them both by explaining them to the rest of the church, especially if there's some disagreement over them. Okay. Very good. Thank you for that. And uh, Mark has this question. Are all religions and denominations equal in God's eyes? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh -uh, Because they all teach different truths. Mm -hmm. And uh, fine. Either God is one or he's three. Or both. He can't be either one or three, and both have them be true. Either Christ is the Son of God, made word made flesh, who's our only access to the Father, or he's deluded, uh, he's just a man. You can't both be true. So I know we've given into relativism in our culture, but you know the idea that all religions are really teaching the same thing comes from the Enlightenment, and especially the Masonic Order, the Doctrine of Freemasonry. Mm. Yeah, as long as you're um, producing feelings of dependence on the universe, it doesn't matter what you think about it. So, for example, in some of the inheritors of the philosophers of the 18th century, one rather famous one, was Friedrich Schleiermacher, who was a scripture scholar in Germany, and he said, religion is the foe of creeds. 
you're not supposed to try to express your belief in something intelligent and rational. Hmm. You're just supposed to feel that there must be another higher power, and it's all based on your feelings. Uh-oh. Or you have um, Feuerbach, who was a famous German professor in the 19th century, who wrote a book in which he said that the God of man is man, that religion is anthropology. Hmm. So um, whatever I need is what God is. No, wow. there's an objective revelation. All right. And we appreciate that. Mark, thank you so much for your email. Lots of phone calls coming in right now, but we do have two lines open at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, if you're listening in Connecticut or the metro New York area, your Catholic radio station needs to hear from you next week. The great Veritas Catholic Radio, based in Norwalk, Connecticut, airing their fall pledge drive all week starting on Monday. And if you want to get ahead of all that, and if you want to help out right now, go to veritascatholic.com for all the details. VeritasCatholic.com. All right, back to the phones here at 833-288-EWTN. Here is Ray in Colorado, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Hello, Ray. What's on your mind today? Hi. So I'm just wondering, I have two um, teenage stepdaughters who um, have not been baptized, and um, it's taken many years for my husband to finally, you know, allow me to influence them. And so now we're making them go to catechism classes um, to get confer- to get baptized and confirmed. And I'm wondering if they if they don't want it and they're just doing it because we told them to, are they still going to receive the grace from that baptism and confirmation? Well, the teaching of the church is, as long as they're not against it. In other words, they're just going through the motions, but they hate every minute of it, and they don't believe that the baptism wouldn't work. But if they're open to it at all, even if it's just to please you, uh, then the baptism would... It's always in favor of baptism, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if possible. Yeah. Okay. Is that helpful for you, Ray? Um, it is, but their, their, their background was, um, you know, their mom dabbled in, like, witchcraft, and they dabbled with, uh, the youngest one had said that she was a Satanist, um, so I'm just, I don't think that they're doing, I mean, it was just horrible, but, Mm. um, but, but, but dad thinks that they're just acting out, um, but it terrified me enough to be like, okay, I can't have that, um. So it's like every time we they have a class, you know, we ask how class was, and, you know, they're just, they're not in it. We go to church every Sunday. They don't even make the sign of the cross. Um, it's just, they're, they're just there. I mean, I'll do a rosary. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go to church uh, before church and do the rosary uh, every Sunday, and they don't participate. They just sit there. So right. I just, and I, they're just angry. I think that, that, I, I just don't want to make them go through these classes if they're not going to receive how they want. You know, when we when we get baptized, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm saying. It's just I don't want to waste 
time. Yeah. If they're not, if they're not believing it. Yeah, we, we yes. understand, Ray. Any any thoughts there, Father? Well, baptism doesn't work automatically, you know, if you're against it. Uh, babies, there's no problem because babies don't have desires or not desires, you know. So my personal opinion is, but I don't know your children, you know. You're asking me to make a judgment on a psychological situation where I don't even know the people. But I, I would be willing to uh, say that it's probably not a good idea to force them totally against their wills. And if they really are Satanists, it's not going to work anyway. I mean, you have to be somewhat open in your will to receiving baptism in order for it to occur in adults. And adults would mean people who basically have the use of reason, Yeah, not babies. Yeah. Ray, we will uh, certainly keep you and your family in our prayers, and thank you so much for your call. Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. All right, it is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. A couple of lines are open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Elizabeth is a first-time caller from Michigan listening on Ave Maria Radio. Elizabeth, what's on your mind today? Hi, Father Milady. Hi. Uh, just in, in reference to your uh, previous answer on a question about um, a girl um, staying with a boyfriend and sleeping on the couch, my daughter, 23, uh, they said they were going to move in together, her and her boyfriend, and I, of course, told them, no, it's wrong. And she does stay overnight with him, and they, she sleeps on the couch. And I think she's very wrong. She's certainly disobedient of me. And to me, it puts yourself in the proximity of sin, because all it takes is one night, you know. Um, so I just wanted to ask this question again. <laughs> well, and obviously I cannot deal with every circumstance of every mother dealing with this at every age. Sure, in a sure. S- short answer of one minute on the radio, all right? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, first of all, there are all kinds of things I could say about this. Yes, of course, it's a proximate occasion of sin. But I've known people that have done it, all right? Secondly, um, in itself, it's not a sin. Now, of course, it is, as you say, a proximate occasion. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, she doesn't have to do your will because she's 21. So there's no question of obedience, only respect, all right? Mm. Children only have to obey their parents up until the time they reach majority, then they have to show respect to their parents, but they don't have to obey them. Uh, let's see, what else can I say about this? Um, I would recommend against it, but that isn't the way the question was asked to me. Sure. The, the question had to do with whether it's a sin or not, all right? And in itself, it's not, although you're right. Uh, we're not supposed to put ourselves on the proximate occasion of sin. And if they've told you that there's nothing going on, well, okay. But uh, I don't know. I I would tend to have my doubts about that. Now, if it were my daughter, I'd probably be the same as you do. But it's not just my daughter. It's a question of generally, does this fall under the person's will? And I'd be curious to know why she sleeps overnight with her boyfriend. Mm, yeah. 
Appreciate your call there, Elizabeth. It is uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. A question here now from Gina, Father. Why is it fair for people to go to heaven who live bad lives but confess their sins at the very end? Oh, well, because it's not a matter of justice. <laughs> I mean, it's a matter of grace. <laughs> sure. Uh, one iota of grace. The thing is, if I were a person who'd been baptized when I was a baby, and I'd spent my whole life trying to serve God, and another person chose to convert at the last moment of their lives, and we both go to heaven, I, if I were a charitable person and a merciful person, I rejoice in the fact that that person gets to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the parable of the prodigal son, you know, where... It isn't just so much the son returning and the father receiving him, but it's also about the older son who resents the fact that the father has forgiven him. And uh, no, Christ is trying to explain to us that we all should be want everybody to receive God's mercy. Sure. Now, of course, the fact that people don't is a matter of justice. Mm. And also the fact that we've participated more Obviously, they don't get away with their sin. I mean, in the sense that they're going to heaven, but they have to go through purgatory before they get there. Sure. And even if they should have someone who prays for them, and that doesn't happen. Well, the fact that they convert shows the triumph of God's mercy. So we should all enjoy that. Yes, indeed. Appreciate that. And uh, thanks so much uh, for your question, Gina. Let's go now to uh, Evelyn in St. Louis, listening on Covenant Network. Hello, Evelyn. What's on your mind today? Oh, hello. Um, So I was calling because the woman that called earlier about her stepdaughters baptizing them, and I think she said that they told her they were Satanists. I mean, with so many people with witchcraft on the rise, um according to some exorcists. Um, I was wondering, couldn't she use, I think I would, uh, sacramentals like holy water in her home, just in case these girls are really into Satanism, because so many teenagers may be into that. I think the number, they may be, you know, I think there are more more, uh, young people in. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so didn't she try, like, maybe... Or have less salt, epiphany salt, epiphany water in her home. and She certainly could. But the question was about baptism. Right. Um, uh, yeah. No, of course she could, yes. Sounds good to me. Uh, Evelyn, thanks so much uh, for your call. Let's go now to uh, Glenna. Glenn is calling in from North Platte, Nebraska, and listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Glenna, what's on your mind today? I have a friend who's about 75 years old, we both are, and she's not a Catholic. She's um, confined to a wheelchair in a nursing home, mm-hmm. and she now wants to join the church. She can't get to RCA, RCIA classes. How is that handled by our priest? Okay. Well, I wouldn't know. You'll have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, People the good, handle it in different ways. Yeah, the good yeah. news is that, uh, you know, if she explains to the priest, uh, you know, this is this is who I am and this is my situation, uh, there are accommodations, right, Father? Of course. Nobody's expected to do the impossible. Right. 
But uh, you'll have to ask the priest uh, or maybe the RCA director if the priest that doesn't want to talk to you or isn't available. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll have to ask them what their normal procedure is in that regard. Very good. It's uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN Radio. One of our great shows that you can hear this weekend here on EWTN is the Bear Wozniak Adventure. That's coming up for you Saturday night, 6 p.m. Eastern. This week, Father Jeff Kirby joins Bear on talking about a better understanding of the Old Testament. A lot of riches in there, so do check it out. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio. Back to the phones now on Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. Here is Scott in Arizona, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Scott, what's on your mind today, sir? Hey, Scott. Have, um, yeah, Scott, go right ahead. Uh, okay, I have um, a friend across the street, neighbor, Jehovah Witness. Him and I have been conversing for a couple years now. And uh, kind of went silent for a while, but uh, resurrected it again. And he had sent me a scripture, Matthew 24, that talks about uh, false prophets, sounds like end times, um, teachings of the elect, things of that nature. And uh, my first gut was to take him right upstairs to Matthew 16. Uh, but I wanted to find out if I can get maybe a, a, a little more deeper dive on, you know, uh, you know, maybe some scripture references or something other way to uh, lead him to the truth of the Catholic Church, um, and Scripture seems the way be the way he likes to uh, communicate, like most okay. Protestants. All right. <laughs> so, any, so uh, any, yeah, any, any thoughts there, Father? Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't um, know. I'm sorry, I don't know the Bible chapter and verse by heart. And uh, also, I just don't... Uh, I don't know what to do about the Jehovah's Witnesses because, you know, they're basically based on this spurious movement from the 19th century where they were basically expecting the world to end, and then when it didn't, they were kind of left hanging. Yeah. And there was a guru sort of type who was the—it's a cult, really. So I think you can cite all the scripture references you want, and I doubt that's going to make any difference. Because the cult person has determined these other ones are the truth. Uh, if you if you could tell me the content, that's different. Um, but I I, don't, I just don't have the you know all these verses and texts that's sitting here when I'm trying to be on the radio show. Scott, uh, do you have a do you, do you know where exactly he's going there with Matthew 24? Hello, Scott, are you there? Sorry. Yeah, do you know where he's going, your your friend? Where is he going with Matthew 24? Uh, we lost Scott. What a shame. Uh, Scott, if you're still listening, here's a couple of resources for you. You could certainly go to the faith section of EWTN.com. A uh, lot of good information there. Also, our friends over at Catholic Answers, you can go to right. Catholic. Yeah, Catholic.com. Uh, also has uh, good responses and good dialogue for someone that you're, you know, chatting with uh, regarding Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or or some of the other ones right. that are out there. So some uh, good references and and some good resources, and I'm very glad that they exist. Here is Bernadette, a first time caller in Napa, California, listening on Sirius XM channel 130 as well. Hello, Bernadette. What's on your mind today? 
Oh, um, yes. I have a, a question about the um, judgment. Uh, the first judgment, when you die, you go to, you're judged by Jesus, and he sends you to heaven, hell, or purgatory. And then on the general judgment at the end of time, where it says um, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, are you, even though you're in heaven, are you judged again? Okay. Uh, yes. In this sense, what is hidden will be revealed. Mm. Uh, what is um, not done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. So in the general judgment, what occurs, as is demonstrated for us in Matthew 25, see that one I do know from memory, <laughs> uh, by your works, you'll be judged and separated from the sheeps and the goats. Now, uh, in the case of the just, to have the hidden moments of their heart made plain, it's made plain to the whole assembled creation. So that adds to their glorification of God. Even if a person's led a terrible life and converted, that conversion adds to the glorification of God. To the wicked if their wickedness has been secret or hidden in their hearts and they've never repented, as many people have, actually, mm -hmm. uh, and wickedness in their heart, that, too, will be proclaimed to the assembled creation. Everybody will know who really is honest and who isn't, and that will add to their sufferings. All right. Yeah. Okay. So it's the publishing uh, externally of all the deeds. In the case of the first judgment, it's private. It's between my soul and Christ. Okay. Bernadette, thanks so much uh, for your call. It is called, it's uh, Open yeah. Line Thursday here on EWTN. And we do have time for just a few more phone calls. If you have a question for Father Brian, we can probably sneak you in here at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. Stan is calling uh, somewhere uh, from the Midwest and listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Hello, Stan. What's on your mind today? Well, I know lay people, parents, we're supposed to be involved. We can't just go to Mass on Sunday and then go home during the week. We have to be involved and kind of wondering how, how much can lay people maybe push back against the bishop or against the diocese leadership if oh, we maybe kind of involvement. I mean, this, this one specifically, I mean, our diocese uh, has decided no longer to do the March for Life in D.C., you know, and uh, I, I really feel like now is like more important than ever to go celebrate Roe v. Wade being overturned and, and continue the the national unity of being part of that March for Life in Washington, D.C., and I'm just struggling with that. I feel like, I, you know, well, lay people, we could put a bus trip of our together ourselves, but I don't want to be, you know, be crosswise with the diocese either, I guess. What, what do you think? Oh, all right. Well, that's fairly easy to answer, I think. Um... Look, as you say, you can put your own bus trip together and you wouldn't be across purposes with the diocese. 
because I have a feeling that the reason the diocese did that is just because, at least in their point of view, they looked upon this as an attempt to get Roe versus Wade overturned, and now that that's what happened, they have to move it to the states. So supporting uh, anti-abortion in your state is much more important than going down there and uh, supporting it in D.C. I'm sure it's the way they look on it. Mm-hmm. But you have certainly a right to your opinion, and uh, it wouldn't be in disobedience to anybody for you to put together your own bus trip. I don't think I'd put it uh, so much as the diocese of so-and-so, but because uh, that seems awfully official. But I find something to call it that wasn't quite so official. Sure. But, um, no, you have a perfect right to express your opinions about things, you know. Stan, thanks so much for your call. Let's go to Jordan in Cincinnati listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio. Hello, Jordan. What's on your mind today, sir? Yeah, hi. Um, I I like collecting different items and objects for different religions. Um, and, and normally I normally I get them new, but um, I, I do have this old this old idol, and it, it's actually consecrated. And I'm like, well, as a, as, a, as a Catholic, as a Christian, I really probably shouldn't have that around. Everything in my collection, I hit it like I splash it with holy water because I'm a little superstitious. But I, I kind of looked in my my old eBay history and saw this was actually consecrated, and I'm like, well, I know in scripture they say there's like a demon behind every idol, and I'm like, well. I, and, and like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I should throw it away, but like, what? How should I like get rid of it? Okay. Uh, what do you mean by consecrated? Is that is that what they like, said? Yeah. Go, go go ahead, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's like it's gone through like their like religious ceremonies to like I guess uh, energize okay. it or something. I don't. Certainly not consecrated by the church, by the Catholic no, Church. No, no, no. Uh, my personal opinion is if it's an object of art, um, as many things from antiquity are, that you should uh, give it to a museum, not a church. Good idea. And if it's not an object of art, drop it in the nearest trash can. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right, and uh, thank you so much uh, for your call, Jordan. We hope that's helpful for you. Uh, Robert checking in here. Robert says, if a priest is living in mortal sin, how does that affect the sacraments, or does it affect the sacraments? Uh, No, it doesn't affect the sacraments in themselves, unless he doesn't believe in them either. As long as he intends to do what the church does, Mm -hmm. then the sacrament is consecrated. Uh, Look, uh, unlike the Protestants, we don't think that all the ministers have to be holy in order for the sacraments to be given to people. The sacraments are too important to depend on whether the priest is holy or not. (laughs) I mean, if we had to depend on the holiness of the priest, how many people would actually receive the sacraments if Christ knew that? So just because you, it's a charismatic grace, which means that it isn't a grace like sanctifying grace that has to do with the person who has it. There's a grace in which God uses the person, okay. regardless of their worthiness or not, to bring grace to others. All right. Very good. And uh, thank you so much, Robert, for your question. Here is Mary in Boston listening on the great station of the cross. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Yes. Um, I have a question whether this is a profane use of um, a church. We had a uh, secular singer come 
and perform in the church. They sold tickets. They had a reserve section. They removed the altar, and he was up there on the sacristy singing along. I was very um, scandalized because I was at the 9 o'clock Mass, and they removed the altar. They removed, like, the hymnals and so forth from the church. Now, was this a profane use of, uh, of the church? Okay. Okay, I don't quite understand what happened. Sounds like there was a concert. Uh, yes, with I a, know that. All right, but 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 the thing is, I mean, how can he be singing, uh, especially with the mass, with but, no altar? Well, it sounds like it was just a a concert, just like a they they were just using yeah. the church as a venue. Well, normally when people have a concert in church, even if it's sacred music, they remove the sacrament. Sure. In other words. They they moved the uh, blessed the sacrament to another place. Okay, uh, but you know there are many many examples today of churches that have been used for uh, well sacrilegious purposes. Uh, probably the most classic example in our country is the cathedral in Los Angeles that um, Cardinal Mahoney gave up to build the new one. I mean the altar's still there, the confessionals are still there. St. Viviana, isn't it? St. Viviana, Hollywood still has parties, has parties there. Oh, my. Where they use the altar as their cocktail uh, bench. Jeez. And uh, the cathedral rectory has been turned into a five-star hotel. But I, I've seen many in Europe, too. Uh, I, I once visited our beautiful, beautiful former prior, former priory in Taormina in Sicily. Mm. And it was taken over by Garibaldi. Then a noble family bought it back and tried to give it back to the order, but we had no one to send there. Uh -huh. So they turned it into a hotel, and it's beautiful. It's a, it has a panoramic view of the ocean from cliffs, of the gardens. And because we were Dominicans, they let us tour it. And uh, the thing is, the chapel looks like a chapel, but it's been turned into an office building inside. Wow. Well, uh, Mary, thanks so much for your call. Hope that's helpful for you. Yeah, my wife sang at St. Viviana back in the day, uh, a long time ago. She still remembers it very well. Uh, right. Father, your blessing, please. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you, Father. And thank you for hanging in there with you. I know that you're a little under the weather, but uh, we'll certainly keep you in our prayers. And uh, Rebecca driving through Nebraska. Sorry we ran out of time. Uh, please call us back tomorrow. And uh, Colin Donovan will be with you answering your questions tomorrow on Open Line Friday. Until then, I'm Tom Price along here with uh, Father Brian Milady. Have a great day. We'll see you next time here on EWTN's Open Line. God bless.